Welcome to the NASA in Silicon Valley podcast, episode 39. Today we meet with Jonathan Galaska, a NASA scientist in our space biosciences research branch. We discuss a wide range of science experiments on the International Space Station, of which one is called Gene Lab, where NASA conducts research beyond gravity to search for answers in space that one day will lead to discoveries that push back the frontiers of understanding on Earth. As we like to say, working off the Earth for the Earth. We also talk about his work on synthetic biology and how you could possibly use organisms to clean up CO2 levels on the International Space Station. Well, here is Jonathan Galaska. What brought you to NASA? Mm -hmm. What brought you to Silicon Valley? Tell us about yourself, John. Yeah, so I've been at NASA for two years now, one year oh. in my current position. And, you know, to a degree, Ending up at NASA that kind of feels like like destiny or fate, you know. I <laughs> like a lot of people at NASA. I um, my first love was space flight and space okay. science and cosmology, um, but during school I kind of fell in love with biology, and so I I was bio, had got a biology degree in my undergraduate, and then did my PhD at Berkeley, okay. and kind of le left space for a while. And um, I was transitioning out of my last postdoc and looking for the next thing, and reached out to my contacts here and. Um, NASA was doing this new thing called space synthetic biology, and okay. you know, kind of immediately brought everything back. You know, that excitement of space travel and exploration, but applying all of these skills that I had been developing for the last ten years, and so it it really feels like the perfect place for me to apply my skills and my passion for biology towards this sort of previous dream of space exploration. And now, you said you went to, you were at Berkeley. Have you, are you, were you born here? Or are you always in the no, Bay Area? No, I was born in Ohio. I came nice. out, yeah, so I went to school in Cincinnati, and then after undergraduate, I think like a lot of people was looking for what was next, right? Okay. And I actually did a year of AmeriCorps. Nice. So I came out west and was up in Washington State near Mount Adams, one of the volcanoes up there. I was actually living at a ranger station for a year, and we went out. <laughs> Every day we'd get up and we'd go out to some trails or riparian areas and, and do work. A lot of it would work for the Forest Service. And that's really where I fell in love with the West Coast, um, you know, the wilderness here. And um, then I went to Portland and did some work, got back into science. So I, I went to um, Oregon Health Sciences University, and I worked actually in a parasitology lab, protozoan parasitology lab. So they were interested in... Um, diseases like malaria, which are caused okay. by these protozoan parasites. And we were you know, trying to figure out the nitty gritty of how they work. What do they eat at a molecular level? And if you can figure out what they eat, can you then stop them from being able to eat that? Right? And so <laughs> okay. if you can do that, then you have a drug, right? So you have a drug that keeps them from eating their food, then you can, you know, in principle, kill malaria. That was the idea. We were very far from that. We were doing basic science. I'm sure sitting out working in a in, in a park at ranger stations, I imagine the view of the sky has got to be insane. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we would oftentimes in the summer months, we had cabins, bunkhouses we could stay in, but I'd say half of us would just take our sleeping bags and sleep out under the sky and it, absolutely inspiring. There was a I believe it was the Pleiades meteor shower while we were there was a was a, a pretty big one and so we all hiked up to the one of the, the peaks there it was called um, Angel's Rest I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of Angel's Rest in the world but um, 
and watch that. And, you know, again, just one of these stunning, almost religious experiences wow. connecting with the cosmos. One of those things I'll never forget. I'm sure that was one of those things even before going to, I'm guessing, University of Cincinnati. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bearcats, right? You got it. So, yeah, from Ohio. Okay, you are? <laughs> from, from Dayton. All right. Yeah, right up the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I imagine even before then, if you studied biology, did you always have this struggle of like, astrophysics and space Absolutely. or yeah. biology, you're getting pulled in both ways. I was. And when I was first trying to make decisions about graduate degrees and pursuing science as a, as a career, I did look into some um, astrobiology programs. And mm-hmm. their, those programs are small and very selective. And honestly, I didn't, I didn't get selected. Yeah. And that pushed me into more of a general biology degree. Um, so I got a PhD in molecular and cell biology, which is like you know, kind of everything (laughs) degree at at Berkeley. And that, you know, it ended up being a great experience. But again, it was kind of one of these fate things where I didn't didn't get what I was going for. Um, I ended up down a different road, but I think it all really worked out well for me. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because people probably don't think of like studying malaria in some park in Oregon is eventually a road to NASA. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think you just can't predict where your life's going to go and what's going to take you where you want to be. And I think we all have that story, right? Where yeah. no one ends up where they think they're going to be, with yeah. a few exceptions, right? <laughs> in, in NASA in general, but especially here over at Ames, is mm-hmm. like there's such a breadth of different areas. It's like you name it, there's chances are there's somebody working on it. Absolutely. So when you're doing your after, I guess your postdoc, mm-hmm. um, did you have some contacts at Ames, or was it just NASA in general? How did you end up? Yeah, I had out a contact here. I had, when I was finishing my graduate degree and looking for my first postdoc, I was in touch with someone um, who was here, and um, so I did a postdoc again back back in Oregon, and then that yeah. wrapped up, and I was looking for the next thing, and kind of reached out to my network. You know, mm-hmm. networking is very important in science and <laughs> elsewhere. Keeping those contacts is critical. And so you landed over here. Was it immediately working on synthetic biology, yeah. you said? Or, or where did you end up landing and what were you working on? Yeah, so I, I immediately ended up working in sort of synthetic biology, which is a catch-all for a lot of things. My principal project was to understand the epigenetic changes um, <laughs> okay. that yeast undergo. <laughs> so epigenetic is a loaded word, which you can talk about, but that they undergo in response to exposure to microgravity. So there's a lot of scientists at, at NASA Ames who are looking at how biology responds to microgravity or spaceflight mm-hmm. in general. And so we're interested in how mice do that, plants do that, worms do that, yeast, other microbes. And so my project was to understand how yeast would respond to spaceflight. And then the idea was once we knew that, we could then use that information to engineer those yeasts to do important things. So yeasts are commonly used on Earth to make all kinds of things, um, one of which is beer. But now <laughs> a lot of companies and academics are, are re-engineering yeast to make um, to make things, drugs. So there's a, the company's making an anti-malarial drug in yeast. Um, and so the idea of using yeast and microbes in general as production platforms, so a microbial factory, is real, and it's being done on Earth. And we want to extend that out to Mars, the space station, Mm -hmm. the moon. There's a lot of good reasons to do that. For fans of the podcast, probably remember past episodes. One was one was with David Smith, yeah. who was working on bioscience like mm-hmm. experiments that were going up into the International Space Station. And we also did one with Lynn Rothschild, who's worked a lot on synthetic biology. Um, 
it, it, that was more of, as you were saying, looking at biology almost as a tool to create things, you know, you know, if you're on your way to Mars and, you know, why bring a ton of headache medicine in bulk? Or if you have some organisms that can create those drugs for you, it's a little a bit more, more efficient. Are you working with some of that kind of stuff or is it more actual science experiments? Or are you going more theory? Yeah. How does it? All of the above. For you? A lot right. of us All here above. at NASA Ames are split in many different ways. Yeah. So I'm on multiple projects, doing multiple things, thinking about many different things. The yeah. reality is they all come together in okay. the ultimate goal. So I, I do work on pure science, what happens when you take organisms to space. That's part of my job. Um, I'm working on a project called Gene Lab, which you may know some about which is about pushing yeah. that information out to the public. But then I also have my synthetic biology work. So the simple answer is I, I'm doing all of it. And, and you need <laughs> to do above, Yeah, course. right. I mean, it all comes together, right? This is how science works is you lay down this foundation of answering basic questions because you don't know which questions are important until mm -hmm. you go to try and do something. And then you realize, well, that random bit of information is really important. Those really aren't that important. But it's this nonlinear thing where you have to do a lot of foundational work to build up to something very applied. And we run into this all the time in, yeah. in trying to do applied synthetic biology work is there are these knowledge gaps and we realize, oh, well, let's go find out what people know about this. And you go and you search and nobody <laughs> knows the answer, right? And so <laughs> somebody needs to go figure that out. And it can't be us. Yeah. A lot of people are working on this, um, okay. but we struggle with that tension all the time. <clears throat> You'd mentioned Gene Lab. That mm -hmm. is a I'm trying to remember, is that the one that's a database where you're trying to, like, you know, some of this information you're getting from the space station, but everybody put all, like, a shared database that everybody can put all their information in? Exactly. Is that, is that, if I understand correctly. Exactly. It's a public database. Anybody, like an open source kind yeah, of thing. Your listeners can go home and search Gene Lab and download all this data. And that's the idea is it's very difficult to get uh, biological experiments up to the space station. They're very yeah. precious, extremely expensive, hard to do. There's only a few astronauts up there to do them. And so we need to squeeze out as much data and also as much analysis from all of those experiments. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that Gene Lab is a platform to get that data out to everyone who wants to look at it. it you know, scientists at universities, uh, mm -hmm. kids in high school, hobbyists in Silicon Valley, there's lots yeah. of hobbyists. We'd love for data scientists in Silicon Valley to look at this data. And again, it's one of those philosophies that you kind of don't know who's going to make these discoveries. Yeah. Uh, and so you just get it out there and we hope that getting more eyes on it is going to is going to get more value out of this. That's the principle that's this general principle of Gene Lab. And so looking at other experiments stuff that you're sending up into the space station, what anything specific that you're kind of working on cuz I, I just find it fascinating of <clears throat> these these experiments that are going up cuz not only are you trying to answer a, a fundamental scientific question, but you got to build this thing in a way so that it can survive a launch and it can rattle around. It's got to be durable. So what are some of the stuff you're working on? Yeah, I don't I don't have a flight experiment now. They're they're hard okay. to get, honestly. So yeah. you 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 compete for these and you, you okay. get a slot. And so I'm not actively working on a flight experiment per se, but certainly all of those issues are are real um, and so where science and engineering come together combined, to a certain you know point. and I think that's one of the shocks to the system when you come from academia <laughs> to Ames in academia you set up your experiment on your lab bench by yourself it's kind of it's pretty easy to set up the experiment and that's 
not necessarily the case, but <laughs> relatively easy. You, you know, know amongst you, many things, you can tinker around, you can fail, you can make it up as you go along, and that's not the case here. You have one shot. This has to work. You don't get to tinker around. Or you has to be, you know, an engineered yeah. experiment, and it's, it's gonna be it's, solid. It's got to be solid, and it's a different way of thinking, and it takes some mental training to get into that mode. And there's a lot of drawbacks to that in terms of the pace at which we can push this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some advantages too. I think the clarity of thinking sometimes is is stronger because of that. If you really think through all the details, I think there's an opportunity to find things that otherwise you wouldn't in different settings. Oh, wow. So, okay, so you talked about gene labs and some of the experiments going up. What are some other things that you're kind of working on? Well, a specific example right now, more synthetic biology related, yeah. is we're really interested in so we want to make things with microbes, right? But okay. one of the one of the problems is you have to give the microbes something to make it from. And on yes. Earth, you, you give them sugar. And so this okay. sugar is abundant here. You get it from um, corn or other sources. Not a big deal. Okay. Um, but there's no sugar on Mars. <laughs> and there's no really microbial food up there. There's a lot of carbon dioxide. Okay. Um, and so we're really interested in whether or not we can use carbon dioxide as a feedstock for microbes. And you can do this with uh, photoautotrophs. So cyanobacteria, algae can take CO2 directly and then make that into biomass Mm -hmm. and and other stuff. Um, Heterotrophic organisms can't do that. They can't use carbon dioxide. You first have to turn it into something that they could eat. NASA's actually already doing this kind of by accident to a degree. So on the space station, the astronauts respire and they, they create CO2. They create CO2. So that's a problem on the space station. Awesome. Yeah. CO2 levels on the space station are actually very high. They can't get it all out. They're, there's a lot of people thinking hard at NASA about what to do, what to do with this CO2. And one of the things they do is they use a, an elegantly named system called Sabatier. Um, and the Sabatier system takes that CO2, reacts it with hydrogen to produce methane. So methane okay. is... Uh, now a reduced form of carbon. And methane is a, a form of carbon that heterotrophic organisms can use. So there's okay. methanotrophs. Eat, yeah, talk about methano and heterotrophic for people who aren't familiar. Yeah, so methanotroph <laughs> means, so troph means like eat, to eat. eat. So <laughs> okay. a methanotroph is an organism that eats methane. So okay. NASA right now is making methane on the space station, but they're dumping it out to space. It's being vented to space because mm-hmm. it's uh, currently useless. So we're really interested in how can we take that and turn it into something. It's kind of like mm-hmm. black efficiency, gold, right? You know, you have a, efficiency. It's like you, you be something that would be a byproduct yeah. waste. Can we tweak that and make it useful? Exactly. So I'm working on a project um, to actually take a, a yeast, which doesn't use methane. It's okay. a it's a methylotroph. It uses methanol, and methanol is just an ox. It's an ox. <laughs> it's it's a C1 compound, just like methane, but it's slightly oxidized. So this yeast can use methanol, but not methane. So what right. I'm trying to do is engineer this yeast to actually use methane and not just methanol, so that it's directly compatible with NASA's current infrastructure. Okay. So we think a lot about fitting in with NASA's current infrastructure because there's so much invested, billions of dollars in building all of this and you can't really change it to a degree. You know, there's so much momentum there. So, you know, the idea is to, biology is pretty flexible. It's kind of like the software of life. Of of life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So you can reprogram it, right? You can make it, reprogram it to do a lot of different things. And so we're trying to make it fit into NASA's current hardware. So um, 
I'm doing that with a yeast called Picchia pastoris. Picchia pastoris is used a lot in Silicon Valley um, really? in the uh, biotech industry. Okay. So it's a, it's a yeast that can make proteins and secrete them. And so proteins um, these days are, are becoming very important as therapeutics. Traditional drugs are kind of like our quote unquote chemicals. They're small molecules. Proteins um, or peptides are more just what they sound. They're more complex and they're a very different form of, of therapeutic. So antibodies are being used as therapeutics now and those are often made in this yeast called, called Picchia pastoris. So it's widely used um, here in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley for this purpose. And the idea is that there's already this big base of scientists using this. But so it would be great if we could take that kind of like this pool. Or yeah, you guys are doing lots of great work, but it doesn't quite work for us because we're one step removed. Yeah. So if we can just make that last connection, then all of a sudden NASA's plugged into this big community. And that's that's a lot of what more we, brain power. Yeah. So we're really, we're always looking for that because you know we can't do everything here at NASA. We have to focus on these targeted things that kind of connect us to mm -hmm. larger spheres. So what are the what are the barriers to NASA applying synthetic biology? Why can't we why can't we put these microbes on Mars right now? Yeah. There's there's plenty of people in academia working on this. The NIH and NSF are funding this to a level that NASA never will. So we're really trying to just find those little pieces that let NASA leverage everything that is being done out there. So this is an example of that. Yeah, it's not only mm -hmm doing the science and the research and the applied engineering to do these experiments. It's also a lot of just connecting people. Exactly. Creating those networks that as NASA can to be, you know, even in terms of a space telescope, you're gathering all this information, but instead of hoarding it for yourselves, for your own astronomers, give it out to the world. Mm -hmm. And the same thing in this, in this realm, you'd, you know, you're coming up with this information, but the more it's shared amongst other researchers, other scientists, other groups, you're just more likely to come up with a, an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more eyes is always better, more minds. So um, from where you're sitting at now, uh, what are you kind of looking forward to? What are you? What are you well, I'm just getting started on? here, honestly. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I'm looking forward to a lot of things. Have been the last last two years been treating you well? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to, to building you know synthetic biology here at NASA. Mm -hmm. I think that it's an incredible opportunity for NASA and the synthetic biology community at large. Um, there's there's obvious reasons for NASA to use it, and there's uh, we talk a lot about the constraints that NASA has versus mm -hmm. the constraints that terrestrial industry has. Mm -hmm. So terrestrial industry is bound by um, economics. They're bound. They're constrained by how cheap sugar and oil yeah. are here. But those constraints are completely different in space travel. The constraints are yeah. around you know, how gravity. expensive it is to lift, <laughs> yeah. get stuff out of Earth's gravity well. So what that means is that the, the technological solutions that we can pursue may be very different than what would be here on, on Earth. And some of the ideas that kind of wouldn't work here, for a while at least, might work pretty quickly in, in space. And so I think that uh, that's pretty exciting for us. And also I think for the larger bioengineering engineering and synthetic biology community is some of these kind of crazy ideas that you just wouldn't do here on yeah. Earth. Could or for no business, it, it wouldn't yeah. be cost effective. You're not going to make a product that you could turn a profit on in the next, you know, years, decades even. Exactly. And so we could do that in the next, that might be the key, the key thing that we need to do in the, in the next 10 years to enable, you know, deep space exploration. So I think it's very exciting and I'm very excited to see where that's going to go. 
and I get a kick out of just even the efficiency of it all where, you know, being able to do things that, you know, no private company would be able to do on their own. But then when you come up with a real solution of whether it's dealing with CO2, whether it's dealing with methane and coming up with a creative way of dealing with those complexities in space, but then oftentimes those can spin off to another product. Here's a technology that now we can transfer over to the private sector and to other folks that probably would have never come up with on their own. But, you know, it worked in space. We made something more efficient. Now we can use it here, you know, <laughs> like Absolutely, on yeah. I think Working you, off the earth for the earth. Right. Often happens. I think that, you, again, you don't know where the right ideas are going to come from oftentimes. And I think that as we push boundaries here at NASA, we come up with ideas. The idea I'm really interested in is uh, pursuing, uh, trying to figure out whether or not some of the responses we already see in biology and in, in microbes, how conserved those are throughout biology. Um, mm -hmm. So we have pretty sparse data right now. We send up a given strain or a given organism and we get some data back on that. What I'm really interested in is, you know, how conserved is that in the biological kingdom? So, you know, we have sent up a few strains of yeast out of millions of species of, of fungi, the kingdom that okay. yeast are in. And so I'm really interested in whether or not we can find a conserved response there. So I'm interested in exploring that. I'm a fungal geneticist by training. Um, <laughs> okay. And so using the, the fungal kingdom for that, I think, is a real opportunity. Fungi are, they're easy to grow in the lab, right? They don't, okay. they're not like mice. Mice take a lot of work just to keep them alive. Yeah. Um, and so we can, we can keep a lot of the yeast alive in the lab. There's, there's many strains, thousands of yeast strains that have sequenced genomes. And this um, allows us to get really sort of dense data from diverse strains of, of yeast and species of yeast to see how they, they may respond whether or not there's a conserved response or they're all doing different things. Um, I think we don't really know that yet. Excellent. So for anybody looking for more information on GeneLab, you can go to genelab.nasa.gov. For the podcast, we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. And Twitter, we're at NASA Ames. So if anybody has any questions for John, don't be shy. Um, come and ask him all that you can about you know, uh, synthetic biology and bioscience and space. And we'll, we'll hit it on over to you so we can, we can chat a little bit more. Thanks for coming over. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Mm -hmm.